Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. You all doing okay? All right. We're a little livelier than nine o'clock. So this is what I would like you to do. Grab a Bible, an actual Bible. There's some along this wall. Open to Matthew 18. And while you're doing that, give the person next to you a high five. And if you don't know them, tell them who you are. Be like, hey, I'm whoever. A lot of slapping going on. That's fun. All right. If you have a Bible, Matthew 18, we're going to walk through the words of Jesus today. If you want to know what we're about here, what we want is we want you every day to read this, not as a religious exercise, but as a duty of delight. I want to know what Jesus says. I want to know what he's like, and I want to sit underneath my king. Like, following Jesus is the best. Amen? Like, being with Jesus, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, he's my best friend. I love him. I love his word. I love his presence. I love his people. I love everything about following Jesus. And I've been following Jesus for a few years now, and I've learned that, yes, Jesus, he leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He is gentle and faithful and good in every way. But I've also learned about Jesus, that he loves to challenge me and take me out of me and pull me into him and his kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom. And his kingdom and his ways and his commands are bigger than me. And I have to submit to him rather than my little view of my kingdom that I would like that would make me safe and comfortable. Today is one of those days where as we've been reading every day, we made this easy. It's a chapter a day. It'll take five minutes if you're a good reader, ten minutes if you went to Talawanda, but you can read a chapter of the Bible every day, all right? You, one chapter, and we even gave you the weekends off, and as we've read this the last, I mean, we've been reading, we read the whole Old Testament last year, and we're in the New Testament now. We're in Matthew 18, we did Matthew 15 to 20 this week. And I started to take notice that every time Jesus starts to talk about me loving him, he immediately goes, how are you loving people? And we don't like that. We want our relationship with God to only be vertical. Like, I just want me and my Jesus in my comfortable box with, you know, my relationship, my salvation, my eternity. But don't push on me to be forgiving, loving, or peacemaker. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll love people. And if you love me, you'll forgive because you've been forgiven a lot. And I don't know about you, but this whole teaching, everything he taught, we're going to do Matthew 18, Matthew 6, and Matthew 5 today. You're like, how long are we going to be here? A while. But this is what I know. As I read this, God put weight on me. Like, I don't, I, I kept saying, Lord, I don't feel like I'm the guy for this sermon. I'm really bad at all this stuff. So if you're in here and you're some unforgiveness in your life, if you're in here and there's relationships that don't have peace in them, if you're in here and you struggle with loving people, what we are doing today is I love Jesus and I will follow him wherever he leads me. And if he leads me to humble myself, to confess my sin to a brother, to bring peace to a volatile situation, to do all that I will. And so what we're going to have to decide today is, yes, Jesus, restore my soul, lead me by still waters, but will I follow Jesus even when it's hard? And because of that, I want to pray. And if you still haven't grabbed a Bible, I would love for you to have a Bible open to Matthew 18. So as I pray, grab that. But if you're a believer in Jesus in this room, we don't pray as transition. I want us as a body to say, God, make us aware of your presence. Make your word burn in us. Make us doers and not just hearers. Can you pray with me for that? Like, even if you get lost in prayer for the next 40 minutes, that's fine. God is better than me. God is better than this. God is better. So, Lord, we just come to you and we declare that you are better. That we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, the ruler of heaven and earth. And I ask you, Lord, to rule this room. Any demons of hell, get out in the name of Jesus. 
And I pray right now that our attention would be set on the beauty, the majesty of our King. We, we bend our knee to you, God. We submit to you, King Jesus. Lead us out of bitterness. Lead us out of strife. Lead us to forgive and love like you do. Lord, I ask that you would anoint my words, that your words would burn in our hearts, that we would meet with you today, and Father, I ask that you would encounter every person in this room, that they would come face to face with you, that you would lead them, save them if they're not, grow us if we are. We look to you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen? To be a lover of God, which is what you're called to be. You're actually called to love God, love God, like you love a human being, love God, but greater than that. To be a follower of Jesus is, I mean, to be friends with him is to also love God and love others. I struggle with that because my disposition is sometimes I struggle with loving people. Anybody want to go there? So I'll ask you some questions. Anyone in here ever been wronged by somebody else? You ever been wrong? Like someone's wronged you. Y'all gonna play hard to get? Y'all just wanna raise your hands now or just keep lying? Anyone ever been wronged by another human being on the planet? Great. Anyone in here ever have to forgive someone for something? Anyone in here ever have any other emotion towards another human being other than love? Great. Now we're all being honest, right? So then you come face to face with the commands of Jesus Christ to love, to forgive, to be a peacemaker, and you immediately have to go, I don't want to do that, and I'm not good at it. And then then we're getting into, well, I need the Holy Spirit's power. I need the gospel to change my heart. I need God to do a thing that no human being can do. And that's what it's exciting about today because Jesus doesn't hold back when he tells us what he wants from us. So I'll tell you up front what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to be a peacemaker today. That where you walk, the peace of God would come. Every relationship, every Thanksgiving dinner, every conversation, you are God's plan A to bring the peace gospel of Jesus Christ to the earth. Peace, peacemaking that you would be the most forgiving people on the planet. We would be the most forgiving people on the planet. We would be unoffendable. And then lastly, when people encounter you, and I mean everybody, and I don't, no one gets out from under this. Stay-at-home moms, business moms, whatever moms, all men, all children in the room. When people talk to you, they encounter the love of God. They go, I feel loved by you. And then they ask you why, and you go, because I've received love that has changed my life. So if you go to Matthew 18, he starts with peacemaking. And then in Matthew 6, you get this idea of forgiveness. And then in Matthew 5, you get this idea of the love of God. So Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as Gentile and as a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you are agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So the first teaching we came in our reading this week, this is the one that like, ah, stood out to me. Because if you just start breaking down scripture, it says, if your brother sins against you. So first of all, you have brothers and sisters that are actually closer than your biological family. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus. You have been filled with the Spirit of God. And you have a covenant with Almighty God for the rest of eternity. And this family is more family than my blood. Now, that's hard in America. That's hard because we like ours. We like mine. We like my family. But Jesus even talked like this. So if your brother sins against you, this isn't, 
I didn't like how he waved at me. I, I just feel like he didn't give me my proper respect. Do you hear what it says? If your brother sins against you, if your brother does something out of the heart of God and out of Scripture and out of what God has called him to do, if your brother sins against you, what do you do? Well, you get on Facebook and you really slyly go, you would not believe what happened to me today. Is that what it says? Or I know, I know, I know what you do. You call the old ladies at the church and you start a prayer chain. That's what you do, <laughs> right? And there's all these different ways that we get around or under, out from underneath the weight of Jesus' commands. These are red letter words. These are Jesus' words. If a brother sins against you, and don't think nitpicky, I'm talking like he's dishonoring God by dishonoring you, then you are obligated, Christian, to do a thing. Go talk to him and him alone. Don't talk to anyone else. Go have that conversation. Now, can we be honest? That's terrifying to me. Having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I don't like to do it. I, in fact, I try to get out from this. I don't even like them, Lord. I don't want to talk to them. Is that too honest? But this is what we do, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, this is where he's leading you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what he says. If your brother sins, go to him. You talk to him. And why? Not so you can be like, you need to know how you offended me. You need to own up how you hurt me. This is the pettiness of the human heart. But why? Go to him alone, and if he listens to you, you're trying to gain a brother back. You're trying to gain relationship back. You're trying to restore something that was broken. If we did this, I believe we would defeat pretty much a lot of what Satan's trying to do in the church today. We would destroy one of the main primary things that Satan activates, like walks in. So Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. If ever has come out of your mouth, I, how dare they do that? I can't believe her. That language is accusation language. You know what Satan operates, his main gift? Accusation. Indignation. Offense. Judgment. Those are things of the kingdom of darkness. We belong to the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, peacemakers are called sons of God. And so if we did this, if we dared to go, all right, Jesus, your way is hard. I don't even like to do this. I don't want to go to my brother. I don't, I, if we actually walk this out, I believe I would be in about 50% less meetings than I'm in. Because what happens is you get offended at me. And I guarantee you, if you're new to this church, just wait a little bit. Just wait. And if you would just come talk to me, I wouldn't have to talk to the 10 other people you talk to before you get to me. And I'm not even mad about it. I'll have those meetings till I meet Jesus face to face and he'll deal with you. Ooh, that sounded mean. Well, what typically we do, and I, I actually have this starred in my notes. Me and Anna say this all the time. Assumptions are from the devil. Satan operates in the realm of assumptions. And if he can plant in your mind, I can't believe Susie did that. Then immediately you're going, she did that because she hates me. She did that because, you know, she sees me as so much more spiritual than her and she can't handle it. That's assumptions and accusations. And so when I got to this message, I said, Lord, how do you want me to say this? And he said, you need to call out the spirits that have been working in the church. And when I say spirits, Peter yells at Jesus, you're not going to get crucified, Lord. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what spirit you're of. So there's a thing called the spirit of offense where we get really easily offended. You ever felt that before? Where you're like, it's not even a big thing, but you're just super about something. Sometimes we're not even aware of what's affecting us, if it's a spiritual force, if it's our flesh. And I think God's going, you need to really pay attention. If your brother sins against you, go do the work of God. Go to him and challenge those assumptions. Uh, sons and daughters of God are peacemakers. So what would happen if every room you walk in, the peace of God comes? 
What if every conversation or volatile relationship, the peace of God descends on that place because you're there? That's the picture. Because you won't get offended and you'll have the hard conversations. You'll be like Jesus. The hard part is, has anyone ever actually seen this play out? Like, you go one-on-one, and then you're like, well, that didn't work. Let's go two. And then two people go, well, that didn't work out. What would happen if I brought one of you up here, and I was like, well, Sister Margaret just won't repent. You'd all be like, wow, they're really serious about this. Jesus seems to be really serious about this. He says so far as to say, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind, whatever you say, that's not godly, don't do that, will be bound in heaven. So there's some weight on what we do here, right? So stop, let's stop making war amongst each other and start making peace. Let's stop being a people that join the enemy in accusing and be peacemakers. So if you're a note writer, or if you want to say this out loud, I actually wanted us all to yell it out loud, but I'm not going to make you do that. I think you actually have to say to the Lord, I will be a peacemaker. That's fun. Half of you did it. You'll say the next one, I promise. Peacemaking is hard work. Peacemaking is really hard work. So I'm married to a five foot three, not a mess around her. She's a, if there's fight and flight, she's a fighter. I love her. I love everything about her. I even love that about her because you know what I am? The exact opposite. I'm a flighter. I'm a, if you ignore it long enough, it'll go away. Anybody else? Like, so no matter what kind of style you have or what kind of person you are, Jesus just called you to do a thing. If you're a fighter, fight for the glory of God and the peace of God, not to obliterate your opponent. If you're a flighter, God has asked you to enter in and bring the peace of God, not giving Satan a foothold any longer. Did you know that in the Bible, the verse that we only quote at married couples is actually for the whole body? Don't let the sun go down on you while you're, you're don't let the sun go on your, on your anger. Why? Don't give the devil a foothold. Usually we just wield that for married couples. That's for everybody. So right now, is there somebody in this room? We'll talk about this body. I don't need to go is there somebody in this room that you need to go to? It might be me. It might be the leaders. It might be the elders. It might be your own spouse. I don't know who it is, but God just said, if they've sinned, you go to them. You don't go anywhere else, you go to them. That will change this church. But Jesus doesn't stop there, and, and apparently, I'm not the, we're not the only ones that struggle with this, because our boy Peter, he apparently struggles with this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to verse 21. I love Peter because Peter's got a big mouth. Peter will always ask the question. So picture the disciples are hearing this teaching of like, you got to do this peacemaking work. And then Peter's like, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall we forgive our brother or sister who sins against us? He's like, so uh, I hear what you're saying, Jesus. That's good teaching, by the way, bub. Keep it up. How much of this? Like, how much are you talking? And this is what you have to know. The Pharisees had a rule of three times. You forgive somebody three times. So notice what Peter does. Peter says, up to seven times? So Peter's like, I'll know what I'll do. I'll double, I'll I'll more than double it. Seven times should we forgive them? And then Jesus comes back. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you're a math geek, you're like, it's 492. That's not the point. What Jesus says, actually as many times as it takes. How many times do I forgive them? How many times do I go to them? How many times do I make peace? How many times do I say I'm sorry and go with humility? As many times as it takes. The call on your life is to dish out the amount of forgiveness that you've received. And you've received a lot. I've been received, I've received mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. I've been saved from wicked things in my past and God has made me his son. What would it look like if everybody in this room, everywhere he went, the peace of God came and the forgiveness of God was displayed? Well, the world would notice. And Jesus takes this so, so seriously that he's going to tell a story to reinforce it. And we learn through stories. So go to verse 23. I'm going to read the whole thing. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay it back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who'd owe him, owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, we're going to read verse 35, but it's weighty. It's scary. It should motivate us a little bit. But do you see what he just said? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom we belong to because Jesus is our king. In that kingdom, we have been given a free debt card. All of our debt out of sin is gone. You have been forgiven much. Then what does the wicked servant does? Even with all the forgiveness of his 10,000 bags of gold and all of my sin gone, we go out and we go, how dare you sin like that? And he goes, that's a wicked thing to do. That's a wicked servant. And so what does happens to the wicked servant? You go, well, that's, I'm saved, I'm, I'm free, I'm, I'm good, God loves me, which is true things. But read verse 35 and let it sit on you. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's an interesting idea. The way that you forgive is the way that God will forgive. Anybody a little bit more motivated to forgive? Any a little bit more like, I really want the forgiveness of God. And this is like, no, I don't think this is salvation. I think this is working out our salvation with fear and trembling that I don't want to bring judgment upon you. I want to bring restoration. I don't want to join accusation of Satan. I want to join in the upbuilding and encouraging of the body. That sin will kill you. But God can redeem all things. And he saved me and he can save you. Learning how to be a church of peacemakers and forgivers, I think will change not just this church, but the town we live in. Forgiveness is even in how Jesus taught us how to pray. Did you know that? Go to Matthew chapter 6. Go to verse 9. It's the Our Father prayer. If you're anything like me, you were taught this prayer. If you're Catholic, you were really taught this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our debtors. What? Even in the prayer that we've memorized, in the middle of it is, forgive me as I forgive others. Forgive me like I forgive others. And so our debt has been forgiven, and we might have people that have done things against us, and God goes, forgive them. Forgive them. And once again, Jesus ain't playing. Jesus is commanding and I follow Jesus. And in verse 14, he gives another very serious warning. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The, the but's very important. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's weighty. That's a little scary, Right? That motivates the Christian to be like, God, I want to go your way. I want to forgive all things. I want to be a forgiver. I want to be a peacemaker. If you forgive others' trespasses, God will forgive yours. You're like, wait, is that how, the, is that how salvation works? Well, salvation's by grace through faith. This, I believe, is working out with fear and trembling and not dishonoring what I've received by being a wicked servant and not offering the same thing. 
Will you be a, a force of forgiving others or not? Um, a guy that knows a lot about forgiveness is a guy named R.T. Kendall. We actually, about a couple months ago, watched a sermon of his in here for an equip night. Uh, we did a whole thing on forgiveness. He wrote a book, if you're interested in this, called Total Forgiveness. It's the title of one of his sermon. That is, that's, like, that's the story of this man's life. And really, in Total Forgiveness, he begins to tell his story. And he does it in such a beautiful way because he doesn't bring up the people's name. He just said, there was early on in my ministry where someone wronged me so terribly and I was so hurt and so scarred for years. I was angry, bitter, and wounded. And if that's you, I need you to hear me. R.T. Kendall, this man who's now preaching at huge stadiums and writing books about God's total forgiveness, says, I was whining to a fellow pastor. And I said, you don't understand what R.T. says. You don't understand what they did to me. They betrayed me. They stole my ministry from me. They killed me almost. And he's telling his pastor friend that, and his pastor friend looks him in the face, and he says, you must totally forgive them, R.T. Release them, and you will be set free. Release them, and you will be set free. So many of us, we don't understand forgiveness and unforgiveness. We don't understand how Satan plays games. And we almost join Satan in binding ourselves. And we go, I can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. So if I was to say to you right now, release them. Forgive them. Set them free so you can be free. What goes through your head? Because I guarantee you, some of you are like, you don't know what he did to me. And here's, it's really serious, but like, I know that if we went around the room right now and shared stories, there's probably some really dark stuff. I mean, I know there's kids in the room, but I'm sure there's rape in this room, abuse, straight up almost murder. I bet there's some neglect that would make a lot of us weep for you. That doesn't give you an excuse to get out from the commands of Jesus. It doesn't. And it's hard, and it's gut-wrenching, and I don't think he's above you right now going, you better forgive! I think he's going, I'm the restorer of all things. And if anybody on the planet understands being betrayed, being abandoned, being forgotten, it's Jesus. And so RT, he's like, well, they lied about me over and over again. Anybody ever been lied about? They accused me behind my back over and over and over again. They, 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 really, they deserve to suffer like me. I'm going to make them pay. I will never forgive those people. These are the things we say in the dark of the night at our house where no one can hear us. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord sees you. The Lord has freedom for you. What I've found, though, is I actually enjoy non-freedom. I get a little indignant. Like, I deserve to be bad at them, God. You know what they did to me. You know how they treated me. I want them to feel it. And what God's been teaching me is I want people, no matter what they've done or who they are, I don't want them to feel afraid around me at all. I want them to feel welcomed. I want them to feel the pleasure of God. And if that means I got to eat some feelings and forgive even some horrible stuff, I want Jesus on display. That's the real following Jesus. That's where it's not, you didn't just save me, you're growing me to be look more like you. And Jesus forgave, even on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you want to be like Jesus, look at his words in Matthew 18. If you want to be like Jesus, look at Matthew 6, the Our Father prayer, and go, am I a peacemaker? Do I bring peace where I go? Or do I go to every Thanksgiving dinner and I just take that wrench and throw it in the gears? You know what I mean? The guy that like walks into family dinners like, Anybody have any thoughts on Trump? Wrench right in the gears. The whole family's like, ah. you like to be that person. God might have some words for you. Maybe you're like, I deserve to judge them. Be careful. Be careful. Jesus says, if you don't forgive them, I'm not forgiving you. That's scary. And I know some of you are like, theologically, well, this is what the Bible says. I would just rather get to heaven and be like, Lord, I took you at your word. I took you at your word that forgiveness is such a serious thing that you warned me. You warned me. So 
if you said, I will be a peacemaker, and I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. I just want you to know that. Where you smile and fake it. Forgiveness is a choice most days of my life. Sometimes years at a time. Some of you have horrible things done to you. Some of you don't need to go back to your abuser. Some of you don't even need to have them in your life, but you can still forgive them. The Lord makes this possible. So if you're willing, and maybe you're writing notes and you'll say this later, later um, I want you to say a thing out loud or write it down. I will forgive because I have been forgiven much. Can you say that? I will forgive because I have been forgiven much. And if you're like, I can't, that's okay. Jesus isn't mad at you. He's just gonna, he's trying to lead you to better waters than you're living in. The last stop is actually Matthew 5, 43 to 48. So you want to flip a Bible over to that. So if we're called to be peacemakers and we're called to be forgiving and unoffendable and bestow the love of God on people, Matthew 5 is another almost impossible command for most human beings. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, I've been saying this from, if you're going to follow Jesus, he's not going to leave you how you are. Did you hear me? If you're going to follow Jesus, you will not be the same person you are today next week, hopefully. Sometimes it feels real slow, right? But in five years, you won't be the same person. In 10 years, you'll be glowing like Moses. God grows his people. And we're all in this process of some of us, we have some unforgiveness you have to deal with. It's killing you. Some of us, we have, we have sowed war and accusation and we need to go and make peace. And then the last thing that Jesus asked us to do is in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your fathers in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did you hear that last line? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so people ask me all the time, well, how much peace do I look for? And how much forgiveness should I offer? And what's the mark of how much love is enough love? God is the line. Be like your Father in heaven and extend all the peace and extend all the forgiveness and extend all the love. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, does everybody in the room just deflate? Because you're like, I'm not. I can't do this. I want to, but I can't. You ever said that to the Lord? I really want to do that, God, but I can't. I don't have it in me. Hear me. That's the perfect place to be. At the end of you is where God's power fills. At the end of you and your ability comes the power of God to transform a heart and infuse you with the life of Jesus. Get to the end of you in all this. All the commands of Jesus aren't, you better do this better. They're come to me and I'm gonna help you. Don't do this stuff apart from Jesus. Don't do it in your own strength. Don't do it in your own willpower. Don't make a type A plan of how to forgive and bring peace. Come to Jesus and submit and go, what do you want, who do you want me to go to today? Over the last month, that's how I've started my days. Lord, who do you want me to go to today? And it has led me to hard conversations, beautiful conversations, teary conversations, conversations I hope to never have in my life again, but I'm obeying. So Jesus is doing in the, the, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, which we just read. Jeremiah, two weeks ago, he just read it. I loved it. That was the spirit of the Lord going, is the word of God enough? Some of you were like, why is he just reading? Because it's the word. And then Tim came and he says, are you offended about Jesus' teaching or will you sit underneath his authority with glad joy? 
And so Jesus shows up here in the Sermon on the Mount, and you would think, oh, this is about like, hey, here's my marching orders for how to be righteous. But that's not what this is. Jesus is highlighting the, uh, the righteousness of the Pharisees and how it's not real righteousness. Because it doesn't actually address any of the problems of humanity. This is what I mean. The Pharisees had all these rules that actually weren't Scripture. Did you know that? So the Pharisees had all these rules of you got to wash your hands ceremonially before you eat or you're unclean. That's not in the Pentateuch. That's not in the Bible. That's not in their scripture. And so Jesus shows up and his disciples are eating without washing. And so the Pharisees, because they're judgmental kind of buttheads, were like, how dare you? You're unclean. And Jesus goes, the food that you eat or your cleanliness of your skin has nothing to do with uncleanliness. What issues out of your heart, the words of your mouth, the judgments of your life, the lack of love, and the lack of peacemaking, that's what makes you unclean. Your heart. He, he shows us this because he starts to proceed to go through, you have heard that it was said, don't murder people. You all should know that, right? Don't murder people. Good rule for life. And he's saying, but I'm telling you that when you look at your brother with judgment and hate in your heart, what are you doing? You're murdering him in your heart. That makes you unclean. Uh, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. Men, don't sleep with women you're not married to. It's a good rule. But I'm telling you that when you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, in your, in your mind, you're committing that in your heart. He's not redefining the law. He's telling us what the original intention of the law was. The original intention of the law was that your heart would be pure to love God and love people. That's the original intention. And out of that original intention, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So let's say you go to work tomorrow and Bill's there. And you got a cross on your desk because you're a good Christian. You know what I'm saying? And Bill comes up and goes, oh, I see you got a cross. You're not one of those dumb Christians, are you? I almost can guarantee 97% of us in this room aren't like, Lord, bless him. I pray honor. I just pray good things on his finances and his kids. Blessings, Bill. Here's $100. I guarantee you, 97% of us, that's not our reaction. Half of us are like, Bill, you about to catch these hands? You better step back from my desk or I'm going to put a cross in your forehead. Like, right? That's going to be our response because if you get jabbed in our culture, you jab back, but not in the kingdom of God. Or you're going to be like me, and Bill's going to say his mean things about your cross, and you're just going to moonwalk away. Like, bye, Bill. <laughs> right? So, once again, Jesus calls us to something we don't do. And we're not good at. And we fail all the time. So we're going to need some help. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he goes, no, flip that. I want you to love the people that hate you. I want you to love them. Now, don't Soften this. You all love your wives and your kids, right? Love your enemy like that. Bless them. Honor them. Make them feel foolish for hating you because you love them so well. Love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. So pray for Bill because he made fun of your cross. Pray God would get him. Pray God would bless him. Pray his finances would overflow that he might realize that there is a God in heaven. That's hard, is it not? Not my norm. Not my norm. And here's the thing. That command is not actually two commands. That's not love your neighbor or love your enemies and no, hate your neighbor. love It's actually one command that's love your neighbor. So the person that should be easy to love is your neighbors, your family, all the people that you actually naturally love. He's going from them all the way to the people that hate you. Love. Everybody in between, the neighbors, and the hateful people, love them all. So the command is, be a peacemaker, be full of forgiveness, and love everybody. Can we be honest, though? Like, I struggle to love my wife the way that Jesus wants me to. I struggle to love my kids the way the Messiah showed me. Like, I, I struggle. Y'all, like, can we be honest? That some days you're like, God, I don't have it in me, and I'll give you the principle again. True righteousness begins at the end of you. Because the problem with the righteousness of the Pharisees is it required no supernatural power. It required no God. It was them. 
You wash your hands. You make yourself clean. You deal with your sin. You sacrifice the right animal. You do this on the right day. You don't do any work on this day. You, 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 you. And Jesus is going, not you at all, me. I'll do it. I'll free you. I'll make your heart new. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll make you love people even when you don't naturally as a man. And here's the thing. You're all in a process with this, but following Jesus has led me to weep over more people and love more people and hug more people. Like, it's, it's the life of Jesus is a challenge some days, but it's the best life. Following Jesus is full of peace and life and streams of living water and his faithfulness and grace and mercy pour over me all day long. And he's like, son, do you want to come out of that mess? And some days I say, no, God. Some days I go, no, I'd rather sit here and be bitter and angry. Some days I say, Jesus, I don't want to follow you today. It's too hard. But Jesus' words, they compel me. To make, let's be people that are driven to our Redeemer and admit, I can't do this. I want to, but I can't. Help me. That's what I'm asking from you today. You would admit, you stink at this. We stink at this. And then let God so fill us. So where in your life, do the same thing with peace. Where in your life, if every person that encountered you walked away going, I just encountered the love of God through that man. I just encountered the love of God through that woman. I'll even start at home. Husbands, do your wife and kids, do they encounter the love of God through you? Do they encounter the peace of God with you? When you walk in, when dad gets home, are they like, peace arrived? And you're like, some of you are like laughing because you're like, is that a thing? Yes! Because you know Jesus. And some days you'll walk in and it will not look like that and you'll have to ask for forgiveness. Are you quick to forgive your kids? Are you quick to forgive your wife? Wives, are you wielding your words in unforgiveness? I can't believe you didn't take the trash out. Like, even in our own homes, we can live this out. Don't just apply this to out in the world. This is in the house of God. So it's my intention today that Jesus would push you past you. Because I don't know any other way... He says, verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The sons of God are the ones who live like God. Did you know that? So Barnabas, he is the son of, anybody? Encouragement. So it's not like encouragement birthed Barnabas. What, what he says when he wants you to be a son of God, he wants you to exhibit the character of your Father in heaven. What's God like? What's he like? What's his character like? Well, he, he's a God that makes peace. He's a God that forgives. But what's the epicenter of who God is? I'll ask you a question. What caused God the Father to send his son? What caused God the Father to send his son to die a death that you deserve? What caused the Father to bring Israel out of Egypt? What caused God to prophesy the coming Messiah? What? What is the middle of who God is? One thing. Love. Love is the epicenter. It's not something he is, it's who he is. God is love. So you can't say to me, I know God. I'm connected to him by the spirit. I'm one in Christ. I'm in Christ and Christ is me, but I hate people. They're not compatible, guys. And I lived a lot of my life thinking they were. Not thinking they were, I knew it wasn't, but I was like, oh, I, you know, what's most important is theology. What's most important is being right. What's most important is if I point out that that sin will kill you. What actually got the, the gauge of your maturity in Christ is how high is your love? How willing are you to become less and let the love of God shine through? Lo the love of God is at the epicenter of who he is. God loves you. God saves people. God redeems all things, including judgmental, unpeaceable, unforgiving people. And he ends this way. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? You know, out in the world, it's like, uh, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. 
out in the world, it's be nice to those who are nice to you, and if someone's mean to you, you put them on the bad list. Not so with the kingdom of God. Not so. So who are you spending your time loving, forgiving, and where are you making peace? Because if we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, that puts us all in this room, myself included, every elder, every leader, every man, woman, and child at one place, on our knees before God, going, God, we need help. Help us. So I'll end this way, because I can hear the kids stirring and I talk too long. But there's not a clock on the back wall, so blame that. We just got done with a 21-day fast. And about day 18, I was pretty hungry, pretty weak tired, like, God, I just want to chew something. I was like chewing leather because I just wanted to chew. I wasn't, but I'm sitting in my prayer room in my chair, and I'm praying, and I'm just like, Lord, I, would you just tell me, tell us, unify us, do something, tell us what to do at Kalsa. And here's the thing. I've read a lot of books over the years about church and, and revival, and, and a picture came to mind, uh, a picture that is not mine. It's actually from a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in like the 1950s in, in England. And he had this unique way of talking about when God gets a people's attention, what it looks like. And it was the picture of a dad and a son. And they're walking hand in hand, just real slowly enjoying each other's company. So I'm praying and I start to see this in my head. And it's just the dad and the son. And all of a sudden the dad, for no other reason other than he loves the son and he wants to show him his light, he grabs the son, throws the kid in the air, catches him grabs him and goes, I love you so much. So he's got his like feet dangling. He's like, and then he sits the kid back down and starts walking with him again. So I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, I want that. Will you throw me? Like, I want to feel the exhilaration of who you are. I want to know your closeness. I want you to pick me up. I don't want to live life without you. I want to know the love of my father. This is the prayers I'm praying, right? And as I'm praying that, immediately the, the scene in my brain changed. You can call it a vision. I'm fine with that. Uh, of a group of people. Hello. And there, so six or seven people and these huge arms, the arms of God come down and it grabs these people just like the father grabbed the son. So here's the picture. If I brought six or seven of you up and my arms got way bigger and I went to hug you all at the same time, what'll happen is you're all gonna like, your face will be my, my face and I'll like be really close to you. You, know, you got the picture? If you grab three of your kids and bear hug them, they're going to be hugging each other as well, right? And so these big arms of God start to pick up this group of people. And then immediately my, the vision zoomed in on the faces of the people. And they were so unhappy because they didn't like each other. Because actually the lady on this side in the vision hated the man in this side. And the one right here was so offended that she had to be close to this one right here. And then the arms sat down the group of people and went, I can't do this yet. And that's really been, I was like, all right, Lord. And then this, this scripture came up in the reading. And then in the last two months, in every prayer room and Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings in the elder room, there's been a theme. And I'm learning about how to listen to the Lord. But when God starts saying things over and over, you should pay attention. And it's been this issue of like, if you guys will walk in unity if you'll deal with your offense, if you'll be quick to forgive and not judge, if you'll fight and get rid of the spirit of offense and judgment, I will pour out my glory. I believe God wants to grab us and he wants to lift us and he wants to throw us and he wants us to feel the exhilaration of being his like never before. But I think he also said, but first you gotta deal with peacemaking, forgiveness, and a lack of love. You have to deal with those things. I have to deal with those things. We must deal with those things. And I want to I kind of enter into those together. And so we're going to end really softly today, and I'm going to invite the band up, and we'll do baptisms here in a second. But first, but first, we respond to the Word of God. And so I really felt three things to challenge you with, and there are these three things. And the first thing is peacemaking. Some of you in this room have a brother or sister you have to go to. They might be in this room. It might be me. I want to have those conversations. In fact, we're going to enter into that in a second. You might go across the room to them right now. 
And if you're going to go up to them and be like, you need to hear how you hurt me, don't do that. Maybe text them, pray and fast before you meet with them, and say, hey, can we talk this week? They'll know what you're going to talk about because they just heard this sermon. We have to do that work. If your brother sins against you, go to him alone. And if you've been talking about them, repent. There's a restoration that God wants to do in his body. The second thing, forgiveness. Maybe some of you have someone you don't like. Someone whose voice just, you're like, they are so annoying. Somebody who's offended you, hurt you, we're going to pray for our enemies right now in this room. Out of this room, there's going to be a wave of blessing through prayer over people that are our enemies or have persecuted us. And then third, some of you are in this room and you're like, I don't even know how to love people because I don't feel the love of God. I want to invite you to get prayer from our prayer teams and they're going to pray that God would so fill you with his love that it would pour out of every pore of your body in the depths of your heart. You would understand the love of the Father. So I'm going to pray and I'm just going to sit you before God and then give you some marching orders. So if you can, can you get in a place of prayer? Lord, we love you. And we actually respond to your word. So Holy Spirit, come on and bring about godly conviction and sorrow. So Father, I thank you for your word. As followers of Jesus, God, we submit to him. And I pray right now, Father, by the Holy Spirit, you would bring to mind the person that we need to go to. You would highlight the work that you want to do on the earth through us by bringing about reconciliation and being a peacemaker. So if God is bringing someone to mind, if immediately you knew who that was, the Lord might want you to do that right now. So you can stop listening to me and you can even text them. In a short few moments, you can even go and talk to them. If you have an enemy, if you have someone who's persecuted you, if you have someone that's made your life difficult, I want you to begin to pray blessing on them. I want you to pray God would bless and show up, show up in their life. And if you're like, I can't, that's okay. I want you to talk to God about that. I want you to take all that pain, all that bitterness, all of that you feel, and I want you to look into Jesus' eyes right now and hold that thing, that offense, that, that pain, that wrong done to you out in front of you if you can and say, Jesus, can you heal this? Father, I pray that you would so baptize us in your love that the love of the Father would be poured out into our hearts right now in a new way, in a fresh way. That we would have the power and the reality of understanding your love in the depths of our heart. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.